Well, good morning. Welcome to church this morning. Again, my name is uh, Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, as we get started this morning, in a few moments, I want us to come together as a church family and just pray for the victims and some of the people surrounding the shootings at Saugus High this past week. Um, we, we hear the story in the news and so many of us would conclude life just seems so unfair at times. Uh, people who knew the victims, uh, 15-year-old Gracie was supposedly a very bright person on the cheer squad at the school. 14-year-old boy Dominic was known to be just a very kind-hearted, sweet boy. And uh, both of them were shot and killed um, by a fellow student for no known reason. Other students were shot as well, uh, but survived. And I'm sure a lot of people in that community and, and people who are close to them must be asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? You know, years ago, I was down in uh, downtown LA. I was at MacArthur Park, and we were ministering to homeless uh, people. And I, I met this little uh, Korean lady, sweet little Korean lady, who was homeless. And she was sharing her story how she moved from Minnesota to LA. And she was telling me how hard it was living on the streets there in LA. In fact, that day, earlier that day, she said she had been jumped and beaten up by five other homeless people in the community. They had robbed her. The sweet little, she looked like she could be my grandma. Like, she got jumped and robbed. And she said to me, how, how is it that people can be so mean? Why, why do bad things happen to good people? That broke my heart. And so after we departed that day, she was on my mind. And I kept praying for her. And I kept praying that God would allow me to see her again. God, please let me run into her again. I want to keep getting to know her. I want to keep helping her. And so I would pray that someday I'd see her again. Well, later that year, it was Christmas morning. I woke up, and it was cold, and it was windy and rainy outside. That one particular Christmas, it was cold. And I thought, this is wrong. Nobody should be out in this weather on Christmas morning. So I grabbed some jackets we had around the house that nobody was wearing, grabbed some blankets that I found, jumped in my car, drove down to downtown L.A. just to see if anybody could use it. And as I'm going around, I meet this guy at MacArthur Park. His name was Eddie. And Eddie goes, I don't, I don't need any blankets. I don't need any jackets. I'm good. He said, what I could use are some socks. And I looked down, and he had some holy shoes. And I'm not talking, oh, holy. I'm talking about, like, I could see his feet through his shoes. And so I said, okay, hold on, Eddie. I'll be right back. And so I drive around trying to look for anywhere that's open on Christmas morning. And sure enough, in downtown L.A., I found this indoor swap meet. And then, cool, I, I parked my car, I run in, some of the vendors were open, I, I tried to see who was selling some socks, and I found a place that was selling a bundle of socks, bought them, I come out, and guess what? My car is gone. My, like, really, God, I get jacked on Christmas morning while trying to help the homeless, he let my car get jacked. Turns out it didn't get jacked, it got towed because I parked it illegally, but anyways, <laughs> anyways. I mean, who's working on Christmas morning anyways? And so it, it gets towed, but I didn't know that. So I call the cops, and I say, hey, my car got stolen. And as I'm waiting there in the cold rain for the, the cops to show up, I'm there on the sidewalk, and all of a sudden, this little Korean lady starts walking toward me. And I recognize her right away, Sue, Sue, how are you? And, and, and do you remember me? We met at MacArthur Park, and we're reconnecting. And I told her what happened, that my car just got stolen. And she said this to me. 
She says, why do bad things happen to good people? And she just broke for me. And, and so she said, I'll wait, I'll wait with you until you get your situation figured out. I'm like, you don't have to wait for me. Just go, go where you need to go. She said, no, I want to wait for you. And so she, in the goodness of her heart, just stood there and waited with me and kept talking to me to keep me company. And then the police show up. The police show up, and they're taking my information. They're hearing my story. And then, then they notice Sue. And just like that, they say, turn around, put your hands behind your head. And they start searching her. They start confiscating her stuff. They put, put handcuffs on her. And before I know it, she's in the back of the patrol car. They said they had a warrant out for her arrest. And they drive off. And I'm just shocked. Absolutely shocked. I have no idea why there was a warrant out for arrest. But I just kept thinking in my head her words. Why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, she was there out of the kindness of her heart just to keep me company, and I get her arrested. Why do bad things happen to good people? On the flip side, the question also goes, why do good things happen to bad people? And life can be so unfair at times, and when things in life are unfair, who do we often turn to and complain to? God, why are you so unfair? The reality is God isn't unfair. God is very fair. It's just that the world is very fallen. See, our God is in very nature a fair God. He is a just God. He is just in all he does. And so today we're going to explore as we're going through the series called Simply God. We've been looking at the attributes of God, the characteristics of God. And today we're going to talk about the justice of God. God is a just God. And then we're going to see how that should profoundly affect the way we live in light of his justice. Okay, so would you guys pray with me and let's, let's come before him and ask him to lead us into the word. So Father God, we, we want to come and first of all, ask that you would do what your word says, that you would be near the brokenhearted. God, we pray for the families and some of the victims who survived that shooting. On Thursday, Lord, that you would be near them, Lord. I know that there's a lot of trauma that's involved in, in such a terrifying ordeal, God. I pray that you would be near them, comfort them. God, I pray that you'd be with the family members of the student who is doing the shooting, trying to make sense of what in the world just happened. So, God, I pray that they would see you. Whether they know you or not, I pray that they would see you and that they would see that you are good and that you are merciful, you're compassionate, and I pray that they would turn to you and cling to you, God. Use this and redeem it for your glory. And Lord, I pray that as we come into your word and as we sit in the space, Lord, that our hearts and our eyes would be um, fixed on you, Lord, that you would limit any distraction that you would bring to mind things in life that, that pertain to this truth, that you are a just God. And I pray that you would speak powerfully to us, every single one of us, whether we know you or not. Speak to us, Lord. And so, Lord, we want to turn this time completely over to you. Help me get it out of the way so that people are left simply staring at you in all of you. And help us to respond in worship because of you, Lord. So, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. We all say Amen. Amen. You know, my, my two oldest kids, I have a, a son, Evan, he's nine years old, and my daughter, Karis, is six. And ever since they were little, 
they've been fighting for justice. Uh, even now, daily, they fight for justice. When my son Evan sees Karis eating ice cream and he didn't get ice cream, he says what? That's not fair. That's not fair. And when Karis learns that she has to wash her hair and he didn't have to wash his hair, that's not fair. And they're constantly wanting to be fair. They're fighting for justice. And I never taught that to them. I never taught them what fair means and what it looks like to, to be equal. And yet something inside of them longs for fairness, for justice. Where does that come from? All of us have it inside of us. We all long for justice. And I really believe it comes from our creator. Genesis chapter 1 says that we have all been created in his image. And the God who created us and the God who, who lives in so many of us is in very nature a just God. It says this in Psalm chapter 89 verse 14. I'll put it up for you. It says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. In other places it says God explicitly, God is a God of justice. And justice and righteousness, they go hand in hand. They are the foundation of who he is. It dictates what he does. Righteousness and, and justice go hand in hand. The definition of justice is upholding that which is right according to the law. So God in his righteousness will exercise justice. He will make sure that he will deal with all people justly according to what is right. So I want to show you a couple of things this morning, a few things this morning that are true about God and his justice. And then I'm going to show you at the same time how that should change our lives, how it should affect the way we live, the proper response. So here's truth number one. If you're taking notes, um, you could write this down. Truth number one, God is a judge who will reward the just for their actions. So what? So what should we do? So act justly. God is a judge who will reward the just for their actions. So act justly. You know, when we, when we say God is a judge, one who upholds justice, a lot of times what we get in our minds, it conjures up this picture of this angry wrathful God who just punishes evil. And yet, the Bible, the, the, the biblical idea of God as judge is in fact one who loves to recognize not just what is evil, but he loves to recognize what is good and what is right. Right? Psalm chapter 33 verse 5 says this. It says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his steadfast love, the, the steadfast love of the Lord. And so instead of always just having this mind of a God who loves to punish evil and punish crime and, and, and condemn the wrongdoer, understand, get this in your heart, that God is first and foremost a lover of good. He loves to reward righteousness and justice. He loves to reward righteousness and justice. Think about a judge in this light. I was watching a, um, a reality competition on Netflix. And, and these, these uh, judges are trying to find the next big hip-hop artist. And they actually handpick some of these contestants seeing potential in them. So they hold this competition. And they, they love these contestants and they want to see them succeed. And there's this one round where they were doing this competition. And, and one of the contestants forgot their lines and they, they couldn't perform and the judges were actually heartbroken. 
one of the judges was almost in tears because they wanted so bad to, to bring them on to the next round. But because of the rules, the standards, they had to penalize the person. And it brought the judge to tears. They want to see them succeed. And so God wants to see us live righteously. He wants to see us walk right, justly. And yet, because he is a God of justice, there will be times when he's going to have to judge us for wrong. But, but that's not his desire. That is not his delight. Isaiah 61 verse 8 says this. For I, the Lord, I love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing, but I love justice. And in my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Would you guys circle that, reward, that word reward? I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. So what we are learning from the biblical evidence is he, he wants to reward good. When we live justly and live rightly, why? Because when we do... His image is being reflected in his image bearers. Our creator is being reflected in his creation. Why would that not bring him delight? Because it brings him glory. So he's looking for that. Now I want to pause and take this a little bit slowly. I had you circle the word reward. Because I want to talk about the significance of heavenly rewards. As Christians, oftentimes we, we gloss over this thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth over and over again in the Gospels that I will reward people for their good deeds. He says it all the time. And I think what we do a lot of times as, as Christians is kind of like this. I, I know I'm saved by faith and not by works. It's only by God's grace that I'm saved. And so we kind of accept him by faith. And then we almost subconsciously take that as a license just to do whatever I want. Knowing that, you know what, I, I'm, at the end of my life, I'm going to heaven because I believed. Which is true. It's true. That we are saved by faith. But it's also true that we are rewarded for our works. Let me say that again. We are saved by faith, but we will be rewarded for our works. And so, yeah, no, our, our righteous and just deeds will not earn you salvation, but they will earn you rewards in heaven. And that's important for us to understand because this was, this was important so, so much so that Jesus would teach it over and over again. Matthew chapter 16, 27, here's what Jesus said, for instance. He says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Oftentimes we, we think about reward as the fact that we all get to go to heaven. And that's our sole reward that everybody who believes shares in common. That truly is our reward. But this passage is saying that one day at the end of time, God, our judge, is going to come. And then at that time, when he ushers into heaven, he's going to give us our rewards. And so what that implies is that there will be varying experiences. There's going to be varying enjoyments in heaven for those who are there. I mean, we may all be there, but we may experience it and enjoy it at different levels. Let me try to paint a picture for you. So... I shared with some of you guys for my honeymoon, Monica and I, we, we got to go to Malaysia and we got to spend our honeymoon on this beautiful, 
luxurious island called Pankhurlat. Here's a picture of Pankhurlat. And uh, this was just a very exotic private island in Malaysia. It's won multiple awards for its spa houses. They have spas all throughout the island. Any spa you want. Balinese massage, Swedish, Thai, Japanese shiatsu, Chinese, whatever you want. They, they have these houses, you get these four-hour treatments or these eight-hour treatments if you want. It's expensive, hundreds of dollars, but, but, but they're known for their massages and their spas. And then they have seven restaurants on this island. This whole island is one resort. They have seven luxurious restaurants, food from all over the world, professional chefs cooking you whatever you want. Expensive. They have... Uh, water activities. They have these bungalows set on top of the emerald green waters, beautiful waters during the day. And so Monica and I, we show up at this island and we get off the, the, the boat that took us there. And as soon as we got off, we're greeted by the manager. And the manager says, Mr. and Mrs. Ma? We say, yes, that's us. They say, we just got a phone call from Mr. and Mrs. Yo. And they want to let you know that this entire week is completely paid for. It's on them. See, Mr. and Mrs. Yo are family friends, but they also own the island. <laughs> Mr. Yo has been named by Forbes magazine as one of the most powerful men in Asia, multi-billionaire. He said this entire week is on us. Now, I have to tell you, I'm Chinese, okay? So, like, we're the kind of people who fight over the bill and don't let anybody pay for us at the restaurant. We fight, we go, we scrap in the restaurant, right? So when he says this is all paid for, that was really hard for me to, to let someone pay for me. So I had to like really pray and think about this for about seven seconds. And I was like, Dale, where do I begin? <laughs> right? And so I, we were, all week we were like, I'll eat this and I'll drink that and I'll have this for dessert. And I'll have this for dessert and I'll have this for dessert and, and I'll have this massage. And, and every day we were having multiple hour massages and we got these private tours of the island, the backside of the island, which isn't accessible to the public. We got to see the private estates back there. We got to do the banana boating and the snorkeling and, and the wakeboarding all for free. Now, anybody who goes and spends a week at Pancorlat is going to enjoy it. Anybody. Pavarotti, who liked to visit Pancorlat, he, he says, this is heaven on earth. So anybody there that week, I'm, I'm sure enjoyed it. But the way Monica and I got to experience it. Because of the, the rewarding experience that the owner of the island gave us was probably an experience not everybody got to, got to have. Everybody enjoyed it, but varying levels of enjoyment. Let me say this. Heaven is going to be rich, extremely rich for everybody who gets to go there. It will be. There will be no regrets whatsoever. You will be as thrilled as you can possibly imagine and yet the idea of rewards tells us that some of us will get to experience things in heaven that are because of the rewards that some others may not get to experience. And so the biblical teaching from Jesus is that the very rewards given there is because of how we choose to live here. And I want to speak to people who say, you know, I'm going to be a Christian, but I'll just put off being really devoted and, and living my life for him later. I want to say live for him now because what you do here matters. It matters. And so God 
being a just God is going to reward us, not just for our faith. He's going to reward us for how we live according to our faith. So how should we live? Well, let me say this. Live justly. Act justly. Micah chapter 6, there's this, uh, this question of how, how do we please our God? How do we appease this God with, with our sin? How do we get our sin covered? With, uh, covered? Do, do we offer a thousand rams? Do we offer 10,000 uh, 10, rivers of oil? Do we sacrifice our firstborn child? What's going to please God? What's going to appease God? And, and so here's the response to that question. Micah 6 verse 8. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He's shown you. And so, so what that's saying is, look, God is not interested in superficial, surface-level sacrifices. He's interested in deep-level transformation of the heart. He wants a heart that's aligned with, with what he has shown you. He has shown you what is good. And so act justly. In other words, walk rightly in line with his word. And, and what that's talking about is that there is such a conviction that what he says is true and it is right. And what he is interested in is the integrity of our heart. That we will live and do what is pleasing to him even when no one is looking. Even if it costs more to do so. Even, even if it needs more time, I will do it because of the integrity of my heart. I don't know if you guys have a, a ring doorbell, but uh, we have a ring doorbell at our house, and it's a doorbell that kind of has a camera and, and records what happens at your doorstep, and uh, when, when you get this doorbell, you, you can also get the app, and so a lot of people uh, will post to the community on the app crazy people who show up at the doorstep. Right? There's, there's package thieves, there's pranksters, there's, um, there's, there's, there's uh, burglars showing up at the door. And so they'll post videos on, on the uh, community board. And I want to show you uh, this crazy guy that was caught on camera. I don't know if he knew he was being recorded. But check out what this crazy guy uh, did at this one person's doorstep. Hey, what's up? How can I help? Boss man, hey um, I found a wallet. Hey, what's up? How can I help? Boss man, hey um, I found a wallet outside um by your um the uh, Escalade uh, um yeah. the, the billfold. I think it might be your or whatnot. So I'm just returning it because I was riding and it was just sitting right up um <coughs> by, right side by the driver's door. Hey, I really appreciate it. I own the house and there are some guests in there that are renting it from me. If you yeah. don't mind, just leave it right down there on the bottom of the doorstep, and I will uh, call them and ask them to answer the door, okay? Hey, boss, they're, prob they're probably sleeping. What's your name? Oh, uh, Moses. Thank you, Moses. I've seen you walking past uh, the neighborhood a lot. You live yes. down around the corner? Yes, sir. Thanks, Moses. Welcome, brother, man. Not many people out there like you, buddy. No, I just had to stop by and grab it, man, because anybody else would have picked it up and all with it. God bless you. Thank you, Moses. Have a good day. Have a great day, buddy. All right, boss, man.
Thank you so much. Isn't that crazy? Not a lot of people would do that. Not a lot of people would do as right. You find a wallet on the street and try to find its owner, and, and he decided in his heart, I, I'm going to do what's right. And I'm not sure if he knew he was being recorded. I'm not sure if he knew that this was going to go viral on the Internet, but he just knew what he needed to do. And I want to encourage us, when we act justly and we do what is right, it's this deep conviction that God sees the integrity of our heart. He sees what we choose to do even when nobody sees it. Even if we're not caught on camera, he sees. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24 and 25, I love the promises of this. It says this. 24 says, the sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sin of others trail behind them. But look at this. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. And so what that is telling us is that sometimes you will do what is good and you will do what is right and it will be seen and it may go viral. It's going to be obvious to everybody, but sometimes it's not so obvious. And yet the promise is it will not remain hidden forever. Why? Because your God sees it. When no eye has seen it, he has seen it, and below that, he has seen your heart, and he will reward those who do right, those who are just. If you're not rewarded here, then you can be sure it'll be in heaven. You will be rewarded there. So that's truth number one. God is a judge who will reward the just for their actions, so act justly. But here's what's also true. Truth number two. God is a judge who will avenge the evildoers for their actions. So what should I do? So love mercy. God is a judge who will avenge the evildoers for their actions. So love mercy. Let me explain to you what I mean. About a month ago, um, I was surfing uh, at a local beach at El Porto. And... Um, for, for over 10 years, what I would do, and this is what a lot of surfers do, is instead of taking your key with you and surfing with it, uh, I'd hide it under my car. All surfers do this, right? So I'm, I hide it under my car in a secret place. Of course, I check around and see if anyone's looking. No one's looking. So I hit it, and I went surfing. After my session, I come back, and I'm like, where's my key? And I'm looking, and I'm searching. I'm like, oh, my gosh, where's my key? Right, and I'm checking the doors, they're all locked, and by the time I was able to get a spare key and get into my car, I realized what I feared, I had just been robbed. And I was so angry, I was so frustrated because this guy got so lucky. Because not only did he find my key, but when he got into my car, I happened to have the set of keys that has my tile on it, and a tile is this device where you push it, it locates your phone. And even though I totally hid my phone in my secret place, just in case I ever got broken into, he was able to push the button and it started ringing. So he was able to find my phone. And he got so lucky because my phone has a case on it, which is a wallet case. So he found my driver's license and my credit card and my debit card. And this dude got so lucky because I, the night before, just not even 12 hours, I, I got a brand new iPad Air 
to preach from. And I had been using Generation 1 from like, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And I finally got a new iPad Air. And I hadn't even been able to open it or set it up or set up a lock or a password on it. So this guy has a brand new iPad clean slate that he gets to use. And it will never be tracked. And he got so lucky because he also found my emergency stash of cash that I, that I hide just in case I need it. And he happened, I happened to have a stack of gift cards that I put in my car, and he got that too. And, and I was just so frustrated, so angry. And, and I just got to say before I go on, I, I'm not sharing this so that you, you feel like bad for me, so please, I have to say this, I know how generous you guys are, please, nobody go buying me a new iPhone, okay, I, I got a replacement phone, I'm good, please do not go buying me an iPad, that's not why I'm sharing this with you, okay, now if you want to get me a new car, oh, okay, okay, we'll, we'll talk afterward, okay, but, but no, that's not why I'm sharing with you, I know you guys are generous, the reason why I'm sharing with you is because I thought I would get over it, it was about a month ago, I, I usually get over this stuff. And even this past week, I found myself just still really bitter and angry about it. And I think it really hit me when we were at the Apple store and, and I had to buy a new iPad because I need something to preach from. And I'm seeing the price tag on this stuff and it is killing me that this is the second time an iPad is being paid for when some guy is out there enjoying one at no cost to him. And it was just eating me. And, and I had to keep reminding myself, what does God's word say? What does Romans 12 say? And I kept drawing back to Romans chapter 12, verse 19. And here's what it tells me in verse 19. It says this, beloved, that's me, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And I had to keep reminding myself that the God who sees all things doesn't just reward that which is good, but he will also repay evil. Vengeance is his. And though nobody may ever find this guy, God's already seen him. And so I don't have to take that upon myself. I can relax and let it go and let God deal with the unjust. And I go back to 1 Timothy 5 that I just showed you. Let's read verse 24 again. It says this. It says, The sin of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sin of others trail behind them. And in the same way with good deeds, it says that the sin of some are so obvious that they're going get, to get caught. They're going to face judgment. They're going to have to reap the consequences right away or whenever they get caught. But even if they don't, they trail behind them. The sins of evildoers will trail behind them. And they're going to have to stand ultimately before our judge. Justice will be served. And so I never need to take it upon myself. God will take care of this. I want to encourage you. What wrong has been done to you? What injustice are you living in right now? This past week, my wife, Monica, she bought, uh, she bought something online. And when she went online the next day to check the tracking, she said the website is gone. It's like it doesn't, it's not there anymore. And if her money is gone with that, then Monica, vengeance is the Lord's. Maybe you had your property damaged. Maybe you had your car dented and no note was left and someone took off. You don't know who did it. I want to say to you, vengeance is the Lord's. 
Let God be God. Maybe somebody at work deceitfully accused you or somebody was slandering you or slamming you behind your back and it costed you your position or maybe even costed you your job. And there's great injustice and I want to say, church, the vengeance is the Lord's. Don't avenge. Believe it to God. He sees all things. And so that gives me great comfort. I had to really rely on this passage and let it form my, my, my heart and my thoughts. And it did give me great comfort. But here's the thing. If I'm going to hold on so tightly to Romans 12, 19, I also have to hold tightly to Romans 12, 20 and 21. I have to believe in all of Romans 12. In fact, I have to believe in the full counsel of Scripture. And so we go on. What does verse 20 say? Well, it goes on. It says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so what's Romans 12 saying? It's saying, let go and let God do his job. Now, what's your job? To love mercy. The word for mercy in the Hebrew is chesed, and, and that could be translated loving kindness. And what Romans 12 is teaching us is let God be God. He will be the judge. He will deal with evil, but you love mercy. You choose to show loving kindness. You may have heard in the news, it was uh, in the headlines, even as far as a year ago, but especially in the past month, where this off-duty officer in Dallas, Texas, goes home. After a 13 and a half hour shift, she goes home to her apartment and she finds a, a man in her place eating ice cream, watching TV, and she pulls out her gun and, and shoots the intruder and kills him. Well, it turns out he wasn't an intruder in her apartment. He was in his own apartment. She just went to the wrong floor, right? So Amber Geiger was convicted of murder. She got 10 years for the mur murder of both of them, Jean. And this, this trial was going on for a year, then just about a month ago, uh, they had the sentencing. And, and you might have seen the hug heard around the world as both of them, Jean's brother, was there speaking to his brother's killer. And if you hadn't seen it, here's what happened in the courtroom. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you.
because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. So that, that was a, a hug heard around the world, and a lot of people were praising it. A lot of people were praising it, but then a lot of people were criticizing it and condemning it. There's a lot of emotion going into that, not just from those in the courtroom, but from around the world. See, because a lot of people said that, that hug distracted and pulled the attention away from a greater systemic issue at hand. And, and some people were saying that this was a case of injustice, whereas another case of, of a white officer killing an unarmed black man. And so what you're doing is you, you're taking away from, from this lady who's getting off, she's being let off the hook. She only got 10 years. There was, there, there, there was some racism involved in this, and, and so there, there was criticism going back and forth. And I think Brent Jean knew that when he decided to come forth and offer forgiveness. And, and I know that I didn't have to use the story for this message knowing that it can be so politically and emotionally charged because of the race aspect. There's been Christians going to social media crying out against what just happened, calling people names. And here's why I share this, because I want to say if we are Christians, then even before the color of our skin, and even before our political views, and even before our emotional reaction, we are ambassadors of Christ. And we are image bearers of our God. And in the face of the greatest injustice, we have to trust that God is just and he will avenge any evil that takes place. He will one day make wrong things right. He will deal with any corrupt officials. He will deal with any racists. He will deal with any murderers. He will deal with any sinner if there is any. But let God do God. And follower of Christ, you love mercy. You love mercy. Brent Jean didn't just see an opportunity to forgive. He saw an opportunity to give Jesus. He saw an opportunity to plant a seed so that maybe for the next 10 years, as Amber Geiger sits in prison, maybe that seed can give birth to salvation. He saw an opportunity to give Jesus, and he seized that opportunity. He showed mercy. The judge, you didn't see it in this video, but, but the, the black judge came off of her stand. She ran to the back. She grabbed a Bible and gave it to Amber as she sent, sentenced her off to prison. And she read out loud to her, John 3.16, that judge got slammed. She got criticized. She got persecuted. But she put it all on the line because she saw an opportunity to give Jesus and to show mercy, and she seized it. 
And that's how we should be. Before anything else, we are ambassadors for Christ. And we ought to let God be God. Even in the cases where injustice seems to prevail, let God be God, a God of justice. And you be you, a lover of mercy. So there's two truths right there. God is a judge who will reward the just for their actions, so act justly. And God is a judge who will avenge the evildoers for their actions, so love mercy. And finally, here's the last truth I want to share with you today. We will all stand before the judge, so walk humbly. We will all stand before our judge, so walk humbly. 1 Peter 5, 6 tells us that we ought to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. And so I want to challenge you, friends. I want to challenge you to walk humbly because if any of you thinks you are righteous and more just and more good than you are, I fear that one day you will stand before the judge and and be humbled. So walk humbly now so that on that day you will be exalted. Don't exalt yourself now so that on that day you'll be humbled. Because imagine, just imagine with me that day that we are there before our God and we are standing there in heaven. Can you imagine with me what that's going to be like? Imagine the multitudes from all tribes, tongues, and nations. We're standing there in the presence of our God. Uh, There's going to be at least a couple things that are going to absolutely shock you. So let me give you a heads up. You're going to be, first of all, you're going to be shocked as you're standing there. You made it to heaven and you're like, one of the things, well, you're going to be like, uh, whoa, how did you get here, right? Like, how did you, Curtis, I saw the way you used to live. I saw the people you used to run with. I know what you, how did you get here? God is good, right? So that's going to shock you. And so, so that's the first thing. Then the second thing, as you're looking around at all the people who are there, you're going to notice some people who weren't there. Wait, hold up, Where, where's Sally? My professor who was so kind, there wasn't a bad bone in her body. I'm sure she deserved heaven. Or where's Jenny from the block? <laughs> who was so gifted and so talented. I thought she was heaven made. Or where's Pastor Bob who knew the word so well and he always proclaimed, Lord, Lord. And yet I think it's going to shock us when we realize that there are some people who never truly put their faith in Christ and Christ alone. All these people we thought deserved heaven because they were so good or some people who claimed Lord, Lord will not be there because their faith was never genuine. It's going to shock us. And yet I think the most shocking thing is not who you see is there or who you figure out is not there. I think that the most shocking thing is going to be as I stand there in heaven and I'm realizing I'm standing there before my God, I think I'm going to say, whoa, like how do I get to be here? How do I get to be here? And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that with the false humility. Here's why I think that's hit me really hard. Look at what 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All of us. Christian, non-Christian, 
churchgoer, non-churchgoer. We will all stand before our judge. And in that moment, he's going to bring to light all the good and all the evil, and he will give accordingly. Now, think about this. Can you imagine the heaviness of that moment? Can you imagine how heavy that's going to be? I can. I'll tell you why. I was walking with a, a dad and a husband from this church, and I heard that one day he was away from home, and the, the wife and the kids were at home, and all of a sudden the door was busted open, and there was a raid. Law enforcement police broke into the house, and it turns out that for months they had been tracking the husband's computer and had found illegal sexual content on this computer. And all of a sudden, they're in crisis, right? So I start walking with this guy, and I start meeting up with him, and we're getting together, and I'm trying to speak into his life. And, all, and, and, and without, you know, undeniably, this guy is, you know, he's in crisis mode. What's going to happen to my marriage? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my kids? What's my future going to look like? How, am I, how long am I going to be in prison? And I would meet with him, and he was very anxious, filled with fear, understandably unstable. You're not knowing what the future holds and how long you're going to be taken away. And uh, we, would, we would meet, and I would walk with him and meet with him, and then came the time for his sentencing. And I knew that day was coming up, so I said to him, I said, hey, I, I would love to be there with you to support you and pray for you on that day um, there in the court. And you know what he said to me? He said, I don't want you there. And that kind of that hurt because, you know, like I thought we were closer than that. I thought he trusted me, and he said, I don't want you there. He said, in fact, I don't want my wife there. I don't want my parents there. I don't want my family there. I, I, I wish it could just be me and the judge. And then after talking to him a little bit more, he goes, you know what? I'm not going to make the decision. If you feel like you, you need to be there, then I'm going to leave that up to you. Just know where, I, where I'm at. And I said, okay, I'll be there. I'm going to be there. And so that day comes up, and I get into my suit, drive to L.A. Superior Court, downtown L.A., and I go to the court, and it's just right there in the front row, in the front pew, it's just me, it's his wife, it's his uh, in-laws, and it's his mom and stepdad, and we're all there, and he's right there before the judge. And then the prosecution stands up, and the judge, they start going down this list of stuff that he was being accused of and convicted of. And in that moment, I realized why he didn't want me there. Because they started saying things I had never heard before. There were all these accusations and crimes that he had committed that nobody in that room had ever heard before. This, this was all news to us. And it, in that moment, I realized he is way more involved in immorality. He was more guilty than I had realized or known. And with each thing listed off, my head was down and my heart just dropped to my stomach and my stomach turned with every new thing I was learning. And all of us were absolutely shocked and I could see him just in tears, just weeping. 
And when I drove away from that courtroom, I had such deep insight as to what it's going to be like on that day when I have to stand before my judge. And if the scriptures are true, like Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, and it says that this is what it's going to be like. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And I imagine, you know, I'm standing there. My, my judge is going over the good stuff I do. And that's done in like five minutes. And then he gets to the bad stuff. And I, I just imagine as, as each of us have our time, he's going to say to some of us, you stole that candy bar when you were nine years old. I saw that. And you stole that person's purity when you were 19 years old. I saw that too. You cheated on your exam your fourth year in college. You cheated on your spouse your fourth year in marriage. I was there. You dishonored your parents when they poured so much love into you. As a parent, you thought about yourself more than you ever thought about your kid. I saw your heart. And I could just imagine, just like it was in that courtroom, what it's going to be like for me. Everything he's recalling, everything's being brought to light, that heaviness, that, that, that somber moment when I'm realizing how guilty I really am. And as those books are open and he's just going down the list, then it says in Revelation 20, he opens another book, the book of life, and he's trying to look for my name. And if he sees my name, if he sees your name identified with Christ because of faith, and yet you did all that, you know what he's going to say? He's going to look you in the eye, and he's going to say, welcome home. Come on in. You've been bought by the precious blood of Christ. My grace is sufficient for you. Welcome home. And I guarantee you in that moment, I'm going to be like, whoa, how do I get to be here? After all that, you just called out? And I'll tell you why, because that entire list was on Christ's head. And he served my sentence. And justice has been served. And so, I want to encourage you, church. Walk humbly. Walk humbly. Stay humble. Walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly in the grace of God. Because if any of us thinks we are truly righteous and truly good, I think we're going to be in for a surprise. But know this, that the God of justice has shown us mercy because of Christ's humility. And so he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen? I want us to respond to this, this good news, this gospel, uh, that, that punishment was taken in our place. And I, I want to lead us into a time of communion. And we know that on the night that Christ was going to be betrayed, he was eating with his disciples for one last supper. 
and he took bread before them and visually he broke it for them and he says this is like my body that's being broken for you I want you to remember me and after he gave thanks for that and he broke that bread he took some wine and he poured it in a cup and it was a visual as he's pouring out his blood he says this is a this is a covenant that I'm making with you my, my blood's going to be shed for you drink it and remember me and he's called us as a church to do this often, to do it often, to, to remember that justice has been served. That our evil will be repaid. In fact, it's been paid. And so we're going to do this, and it's going to be worship. We worship and thank him that we've been covered by his grace. And so if you have come to put your faith in Christ's death and resurrection, please come forward after I pray. If you haven't then just go ahead and remain seated. I'd love to encourage you to think about this, this good news available to you. But in fact, I'm gonna pray in just a moment. I wanna lead you into an expression of faith. And if, if right now you're like, God, I wanna give my life to you. I wanna receive your forgiveness. And I wanna know that I'm gonna be in heaven. I would encourage you to pray with me. And, and if you believe that by faith, then, then come up. Please do. Everybody in the cry room or the lobby, if you're watching on the screen, please come into the worship center if you've, you'd feel like it. I'd love for us to do this as a family. But after you uh, finish your cup, you could just drop it off in a little basket around the room. Um, if you need help, just raise your hand and our ushers will come and bring it to you. If for some reason you can't physically get up, they'll bring it to you. But let's come into this time. And, and like our MC said earlier, there's going to be baskets here for offering and this Offering too is worship, so you can bring up your, your, your offerings. But let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads, and let's, let's pray. And again, if you want to receive the grace of, of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, pray something like this. Father God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. I know I've done things that are not right, unjust, and yet, Lord, I thank you so much that you gave us Christ to serve the sentence for us, that he hung on the cross and died so that justice would be served, and I believe he rose from the dead and is alive today, and that proves that I can have new life, so let that new life begin for me today. give my heart to you thank you God and Lord for all of us as we take this uh, communion we just thank you so much we worship you with all our hearts because of the sacrifice you paid for us we can't help but worship so we do this in remembrance of you and it's in Jesus name we pray